Welcome back to Master the Marketplace with Caspian. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Master the Marketplace. Today, we're going to talk about a special topic around unauthorized sellers, spam sellers on Amazon. And I can't be more excited to welcome to our show today, Richard Taylor, who's the account manager on one of our subscriptions businesses, and he manages everything unauthorized sellers for us as part of one of our software tools. But Richard, welcome to the show. Hi, Kunal. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So Richard, before we get into everything Amazon, unauthorized sellers, marketplaces, I'd just love if you could tell our listeners, our viewers, a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background. You know, just tell us, you know, where you've been and how you, what got you here to Caspian. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Um, I've been with Caspian since 2017. And when I started with the organization, I've been focused on one of our business units called Perispect, which is our SaaS software for managing um, your listing, monitoring, and unauthorized seller activity on Amazon and a few other e-commerce platforms. Um, prior to joining Caspian, I actually worked for Apple for uh, a number of years in the retail space. So I have a lot of um, organizational information and experience when it comes to things like brick and mortar business, um, retail merchandising, customer service from the uh, perspective of the customer. Um, so a lot of different various uh, what what I, what I would call to be um, e examples of how e-commerce fits in with monitoring things like unauthorized sellers and understanding it from the brand's perspective and even the customer's perspective. Um, prior to Apple, I spent a lot of different um, years in customer service and um, customer focused work. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of things that kind of has some crossover there and it kind of primed me really for that business to business um, relationship that I have with a lot of the brands that use some of the software that we offer here at Caspian. And Richard, maybe tell our viewers a little bit about, you know, your day-to-day -day at Caspian as well. You know, how do you work with brands? What do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? How do you help manage their channel for them? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So one of my favorite things that I like to share with not only my um, companies that I work with directly in partnership, but even some of the other departments and individuals here at Caspian is I get to be like a specialist who uh, maybe works with your doctor in order to help solve problems and make you better. Um, so currently with Caspian, we offer a couple of different um, external software Perispect being one of them, ad manager being another one. And as your account manager, I get to help orchestrate how those you know, specialty softwares can improve your existence and, and how you deal with certain aspects of your own business, specifically on Amazon and of course, e-commerce in general. So finding solutions for a brand that are unique to their specific brand or maybe their niche in the marketplace, um, sometimes being really direct and honest with a brand where, you know, certain individuals within the organization that helps that brand may have to be a little bit more savvy with how they interact because, you know, sometimes there's kind of financial and um, other aspects to the relationship that they're 
really right. trying to have some really nice care with. Um, not to say that I'm super direct and, you know, very difficult, but I can just come in and say, these are some of the issues that your brand is facing. And here are some of the ways that we can give you some really direct, honest feedback and right. expertise and advice on what to do with them. Because a lot of times some of those things aren't necessarily carried out by us and Caspian, but more so um, just us providing a great partnership and a level of expertise that says, as your trusted partner, we have the ability to share some really good feedback with you. Take it or leave it, but we want to see you succeed. So here's our two cents on that. That's great because, and you know, I keep saying this, you know, and it's in our mission statement as well. I mean, we're a partnership focused company. You know, even though a brand may not work with us in a particular capacity, you know, we are always you know, helping brands, giving them advice, feedback. We're like their consultants at some level as well. So, you know, I really like that about Caspian where we really focus on, you know, helping brands succeed. And we know that we will succeed only when our brands succeed. Absolutely. <laughs> so, You're absolutely right. Okay, great. So, so, so Richard, you know, we are going to talk about unauthorized sellers today, which is a problem for a lot of brands. It's a problem on Amazon and other marketplaces. So maybe just start by maybe defining for maybe a few viewers who don't really know, what is this unauthorized seller problem that exists on some of these different marketplaces? Yeah, absolutely. So at its simplest explanation or definition, an unauthorized seller, um, and I, I often will use Amazon as kind of our overarching um, descriptor or theme, um, because that's where a lion's share of unauthorized um, sellers land. Um, but it's really any seller on a marketplace that has not been given explicit permission by a brand to sell those products. Um, and sometimes a brand doesn't even know that that's a, a scenario or a thing because um, they don't realize or understand how do my products get onto a marketplace like Amazon? And with that is usually the question is, who is it that's selling? Um, but really what it comes down to is if a brand hasn't given you permission or a, or a seller permission to uh, retail their products on a marketplace, um, Amazon, eBay, Google Shopping, whatever it might be, um, they're considered to be an unauthorized seller. And then to maybe piggyback on that just a little bit is I'll throw in the, the term rogue seller as well. And a rogue seller is really going to be somebody who um, knows they shouldn't be selling those products and are really doing anything that they can to avoid a brand's um, either communication or, um, you know, contact or any, or any other interaction with a brand because they know that they're not supposed to be doing it. There are some times where an unauthorized seller simply just doesn't know that they're not authorized. And in those scenarios, that oftentimes means that they just um, are taking an opportunity to sell a product, even if they didn't realize they were unauthorized or rogue. Got it. So that's an important distinction because, you know, it may not be that the unauthorized seller is doing something illegal. It just might be he or she just doesn't know, you know, or they're, you know, they are, they just not been working with the brands. They acquired maybe a product somewhere from a brick and mortar store or something, and now they're selling it online. So I guess then the question is, you know, how would a brand think about, you know, getting rid of these sellers? Let's think about like, what are the options that a brand really has from a strategic perspective on, hey, managing their channel, I wanna get rid of all these unauthorized sellers. I want to be able to you know, get rid of all these rogue sellers. So let's talk from the perspective of one being first reactive. So I know that there are unauthorized sellers and I want to get rid of them. And then let's talk later about 
how do I be more proactive about it? You know, trying to keep keep a clean channel on day one. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's I think that's a great way to look at it. So from a reactive approach, you know, when you're a brand and you're trying to manage your channel, um, one of the first things that you're going to need to do is know who is selling my products. And you can look at that a couple of different ways. One is just simply, is there a seller and what's their name on the marketplace? A lot of times sellers who are on a marketplace go by uh, an alias that is oftentimes you know, maybe shrouded in mystery or just not easy to spot um, as far as this seller on Amazon is actually this business person or business entity that's out there. Um, So just having that, you know, visibility of like, okay, who is in my listings and how do I know who they are is, is one piece of that. And our software Perispect does a great job at helping gather that or collect that information um, for a brand to be able to see very easily. Um, The other thing is just being able to um, have an understanding of where is my products going? So if I am manufacturing a product that goes out to marketplaces, um, whether it's a brick and mortar marketplace, a direct sales channel on a website, or even an e-commerce marketplace like Amazon and others, um, just understanding what does that distribution look like? Who are my customers? So that way I can hopefully match up who my customers are with potential sellers on Amazon. Um, One thing that I would like to point out that I think is very, very important to understand is Amazon um, and other e-commerce marketplaces make it very, very easy for any person or entity to sell a product. Really, there are no specific rules other than having a, a seller account for said marketplace and then being able to take that seller account and really offering to the masses, to the consumers that are out there that are shopping that marketplace, you know, their selection of product. Um, So what that means is a a brand may be selling to distributors, it may be selling to direct uh, brick and mortar or um, direct website uh, retailers. But once they leave those goods, leave the manufacturers, you know, care and into those channels, you know, a lot of different things can happen where that product ends up in somebody who is considered to be unauthorized. Um, so that's part of it is really just understanding who are my customers so that way I can start investigating or um, shoring up is what I like to say, who my products are going to. So that way you can have really intelligent, meaningful conversations kind of at the source. And that does kind of carry into being that proactive, but it's also understanding like, okay, where have my products been? So that's uh, on the reactive side. So so I've, so now say I've identified you know, who's selling my product. And I realized from that list, you know, I found a couple that are unauthorized. And these are folks that I didn't give any permission to. I haven't sold my product to. So what's next? How do I, how do I get rid of them? What's the process that a brand should follow to, to get these sellers not selling this product anymore? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that it's important to point out that there's lots of different ways we can go. And in the amount of time that you and I have today, we're not going to be able to, you know, explain all of those, which where a more specific conversation with the experts at Caspian, myself included, would probably be really helpful to an, an individual brand. But really, it's okay, understanding who my, um, you know, points of channel distribution are, like I said, whether it's distribution or, or direct sales to um, different 
um, resellers or retailers, I should say, those authorized businesses that a brand works with. So understanding that very clearly, keeping really good records, um, also being able to monitor your listings on a regular basis. So that might be a manual monitoring. You might have one listing on Amazon. So it may not necessarily make sense for you to keep track using a software like Perspect. If you have several listings or maybe hundreds or thousands of listings, depending on what your product catalog, you're going to need to build some efficiencies in there, either providing somebody within your organization the, the room and time to be able to research those, as well as helping them with some software um, or other ways to help kind of speed up that process, because it's very manual if you're clicking listing by listing by listing every single day. It can be a an effort that um, almost feels like it's never going to end, um, and you don't really get a sense of accomplishment there. So software can really bring some efficiency and some help to an individual or a team that's looking at it. And then from there, it's going to be taking the seller's um, that you find that information that you gather as far as who is selling and really trying to match it up. Is the seller XYZ um, account within our, our, our customer base organization and trying to meld those two together and say, okay, do I have enough clues on the seller alias that's on Amazon to really effectively determine is this seller on Amazon actually so-and-so who we are constantly selling products to left and right, but because they go by an alias on e-commerce versus their actual account name within an organization, um, it's sometimes difficult for a, a brand to match those two things up. And one of the services that we offer is actually doing some of that seller research on behalf of a brand so that we can speed up your efforts and speed up your time um, investment on like, who do, who is this seller? I know that they're in, for example, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I only have one account in Wisconsin. So I'm wondering if it's, if it's them, we will do some of that research on a brand's behalf to try to figure out the clues that allows them to make that effective decision that yes, XYZ seller in Milwaukee is so-and-so that we sell to on a, you know, a monthly or a quarterly basis. I see. And then do you recommend that the brand, if they do identify a unauthorized seller, should they reach out directly to the seller, try to ask them to stop selling? Or should they work it with Amazon? What, what do you recommend is the best route forward? So what I can share is, is contacting the brand directly or the seller directly is oftentimes going to be the most effective way. Um, keeping in mind that a lot of sellers on Amazon are um, what I would call small players in the e-commerce selling space. So they don't necessarily want to hear from a brand, especially if they didn't really understand the ramifications of being an unauthorized seller. A lot of times when there's that communication that comes through that says, we would like you to see and desist selling our products, that kind of scares them a little bit into going, oh man, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get in trouble with Amazon. I don't want to get in trouble with any lawyers or whatever it is. So I'm just not going to sell those products anymore. And I'm going to find a different means of uh, offloading that product so that I can hopefully make some sort of profit. Um, working with Amazon can sometimes be helpful, but what I can share is Amazon's mantra really is the widest selection of products at the lowest price. So um, without being very specific or direct, in my personal opinion, Amazon oftentimes is going to do pretty much anything they can to not enforce a seller to stop selling something because that kind of goes against what they ultimately want for the buyer experience or the customer experience. Because if they can 
keep a seller on a listing that is maybe 20, 25% lower than what you could buy that for in brick and mortar, it only helps Amazon. Um, and it really doesn't help a lot of other um, entities within that um, ecosystem. Completely makes sense. You know, it's about alignment of you know, goals, right? You're right. And maybe Amazon, as you rightly said, is their focus is really about, you know, widening their selection. So they're less motivated to bring sellers down as opposed to growing that seller base for them. Yep, that's exactly right. And what I can share additionally to that point is if there is something that is uh, against a uh, a local law or a national law, um, something that may be infringing upon a brand's intellectual property, then Amazon is going to be a lot more helpful. But if there's nothing that's differentiating that seller's product that they are offering to anything else that's out there, then more than likely Amazon is going to kind of wash their hands of being involved. In, and you said it perfectly, being motivated to get right, involved. Right. Okay, great. So then on the more proactive side, you know, one approach that I keep thinking about is, you know, why should brands even sell to multiple sellers? Like, why not just have exclusivity with one particular seller and partner and continue to grow their challenge, their channel there? What's your view on just, you know, trying to work with just one seller exclusivity versus authorizing a few other sellers and not even getting into this unauthorized seller problem potentially? Yeah, that's that's a good thought. I think that the the key there is finding what what practice matches up with uh, an organization's goals and business model. Um, when you have an exclusive seller, you can do a lot of things to really focus in on um, how do we grow this you know potential business unit within a channel, um, product line, whatever it is, sing singular product. It doesn't matter um, because really you're putting all of your eggs in that authorized sellers, that's that exclusive authorized sellers basket. And you're trusting them to do everything for you because they're essentially representing you as the brick and mortar um, on an e-commerce platform like Amazon. Um, you can really focus in on the strategies. You can focus on the supply chain. Um, a lot of things kind of just kind of vanishes because you don't have to worry about, you know, helping lots and lots of different entities or even a small handful of entities sell those products. Now, the downside to that is, is if anything goes south on you with that particular seller, then you have to kind of quickly think like, how do we reorganize quickly so that we don't lose traction? Because we all know that when you're selling a product on Amazon, whether you're the brand itself or the actual seller, traction and you know velocity are key to making sure that you're doing really, really well when it comes to searchability and all the things that go into you know the Amazon machine. Um, so when you're working with an individual seller, you really want to pick somebody who is a, a key player in the game um, that really understands the pitfalls, the headwinds, the tailwinds, and really has a focus that is synonymous with your goals. Um, because then it's a very trusted partnership and, and things oftentimes will work really well together, especially if those you know feedback and lines of communication are, are really well open. Now, when you're working with multiple sellers, um, you have you know, other positive benefits, but you also have some, you know, negatives. And some of those I just kind of mentioned in, you know, the previous topic, but um, working with multiple authorized sellers allows you to have um, 
you know, essentially a backup plan if something, you know, bad happens. Maybe your number one seller on Amazon gets their account shut down as an example for some odd reason. Well, now you have other um, sellers on the marketplace that are still retailing your product and you really don't miss a beat because as long as they have inventory in stock, then, you know, things are rolling. Um, while I mentioned inventory, that's one of those uh, additional pieces. You know, if you're working with one individual brand, you're working with that company's inventory processes and fulfillment processes. If you're working with multiple sellers on the, the marketplace, you have to kind of understand like, okay, how does this company work versus this other company and kind of work together through those nuances and differences in order to get the supply chain there, the inventory, and make sure everything is clicking and moving. Um, so those are just a, a few of the scenarios that would come up in, in that decision-making process of how do I um, effectively sell on Amazon and other e-commerce platforms, um, whether it's one seller versus you know maybe four or five sellers. Yeah, that's. I mean, you you made some really good points there, and you know, it, there's no there's no one single decision, right? You've got to weigh the pros and cons of all approaches. Look at your goals as a, your organization, your growth strategy, and really, you know, align on whatever solution really makes the best sense for you. Without, you know, not without uh, without losing sight of this unauthorized seller problem, which you know might exist in either case, whether you go exclusive or not. You know, people can get access to your product and and sell them on these different marketplaces. So how would you say this problem potentially translates, Richard, into other marketplaces like you know, Walmart and, and eBay? Do you try to manage this separately for each marketplaces? Do you try to look at this holistically across online as a whole? What's your view on how should brands thinking think about this unauthorized seller problem across marketplaces? Yeah, I think that's a great thought and, and question, Kunal. I think it's going to be brand specific and potentially industry specific. And what I mean by that is, you know, company A may only have business on Amazon. So for them to worry about Walmart and some of the other e-commerce businesses may not necessarily be a thought for them because, you know, nobody else is selling their products um, or maybe they're the, they're the actual seller of those products and they don't have authorized sellers or unauthorized seller problems. Um, other considerations are, you know, and I can use the example of, you know, musical equipment and instruments. There are a lot of um, sellers who offer those products on music-centric websites and music-centric um, e-commerce platforms that don't even, you know, come near an Amazon or a Walmart or a eBay, for example. And it's simply because there, there are more experts in that field that are driving those particular types of um, categories. Um, so the, the masses of, of consumers are flocking to, for example, a Reverb.com for purchasing a, a, a musical equipment um product rather than going to Amazon because generally speaking in in that shopping experience you're not going to find what you want on XYZ marketplace because they're not as much of an expert as I would by you know maybe going to a like I said a reverb.com or something like that I see yeah that's an interesting perspective that you made really around you know understanding where your customers are understanding you know what category you really sell in you know, what marketplace really makes sense for you or where where do people really shop? 
you know, maybe Walmart's not a problem right now, you know, and so don't spend your time focusing on that, you know, yeah. and, you know, if that's not part of your strategy, you know, and if, if reverb is the problem, maybe you should be focusing on that as opposed to Amazon. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you've got to really understand where your customers are, what your distribution channel is, and really try to hone in on optimizing yes. and managing that channel first. Yeah, that's exactly right. And my suggestion there is always keep a pulse. Always keep a pulse because um, really it's going to be you as the manufacturer, you're going to have a very unique viewpoint of the scenario. And you're going to be the one who has all of the contacts and all of the relationships with the various channels that your products are being sold in. So really just keeping an eye. Don't assume everything is always going perfectly and just keep an eye on things. Um, what I can share about Caspian is our products don't cover all of those marketplaces, but we really try to focus on the ones that have the lion's share of shoppers, the lion's share of sellers, um, so that we can give the most bang for its buck. And, you know, we're always innovating here at Caspian, so we're always trying to find like, okay, what is the next marketplace or part of the e-commerce, you know, universe that we can, you know, potentially help a brand have a better insight and a better um, effort in regards to their own business, you know, and really trying to meet them where the needs are and, and really trying to focus on that rather than just saying, Hey, we can shotgun everything because we have a, we're a little bit good at everything. Um, we want to be really, really good at the most important thing. So that way we're offering our best product to the majority of the customers out there. Right. And Richard, would you say that this, you know, similar to what we discussed around multiple marketplaces, is that the same internationally too? You know, Amazon, UK, Canada, US, I mean, you know, could someone get access to your product internationally now and now it's selling it on another, on another marketplace? Like how would you monitor across, across borders here? Yeah, I think that that's something to be really, you know, familiar with and well aware of. What I can share is it's not as big of a problem because in most scenarios, Amazon US is going to be the biggest problem. Um, what I can share on that regard is, for example, if your products start showing up on um, the Amazon UAE or Middle Eastern platform, more than likely your products are going to be sold for hundreds of percents or maybe even thousands of percents more. So they're selling higher in those marketplaces than they would in the US. And you know, although that's not an ideal situation, it's not bad because you're probably still selling those products to a uh, legit organization that is buying them from you at X cost and X margin. Um, and then they're selling it for much higher on those other marketplaces. Um, not a huge problem, but it's still not ideal because it could lend to some buyer confusion or maybe just head scratching of a buyer of like, okay, why would I buy this for $500? when I can pay for it on Amazon US for $50. Um, it does force them to do a little bit of math in regards to getting the product from Amazon point A to consumer point B. Um, but oftentimes it's not that big of a deal. The other thing that I can share with like a cross borders conversation um, on this topic is understanding that there are a lot of countries out there that have very specific laws that are designed to protect the consumer. So the example that I would share is um, Amazon UK and just UK and um, Europe in general, 
there isn't any map violation. So map would be minimum advertised price. Um, And there really isn't this quote unquote unauthorized seller um, scenario that we see here in the US because the government says if you have a product, you can sell it. Um, And the brand doesn't have really much of a leg to stand on when it comes to what price are they selling because they really try to make the market as broad as possible um, in those countries, which means the there is no such thing as a, a, a map violation or selling a product for too low or things like that. There are recommended retail prices that everybody has to live by. Um, but if a, if a company says, well, I'm going to sell this for 5% less than you know the next company, there's really nothing legally that anybody can do about it. So you know, kind of the feeling is a little bit different. I think brands tend to get a little bit more upset, but they also understand that these are the laws that are in this, this country. So I really have to just live with those um, until legislation may change at some point in time. That makes sense. That makes sense. That's great. That's great. So, Richard, you spoke initially about, you know, how marketplaces such as Amazon and Walmart are, you know, pretty open. Like you and I can go set up an account right now. We can start selling online. But then there are some other marketplaces, say like Target, for example, that is a little more curated, right? They're basically saying, look, we're not going to let every seller in. We're going to see if you're, you're, you know, you're a valid seller you know, we're going to only let you, we're going to only let you in, in a certain category because you are a good fit for that particular category. So there's a little bit of exclusivity and a gate to let you into that marketplace. Like what's your thought process on which approach is better or not? You know, how should marketplaces sort of think about what the future really looks like, like open flea market or more curated high-end exclusivity, you know, and, and how would that, how would that cater to this unauthorized seller problem, I guess? So I think that in using the example of target.com, I think that's a great example because we know that there is some kind of gated experience for the seller there. And I think that, I don't know if it was honestly intentional by an organization like target, but I think that actually takes away a lot of issues and problems um, because what they're wanting to do is protect the brand and protect the marketplace a little bit more. Um, Traditionally, Amazon, like I said earlier, is really focused on the customer and the, the, the buyer's experience. Um, and that kind of opens up a lot of these floodgates for some of these scenarios that brands are really left holding the bag to deal with. Unauthorized sellers, rogue sellers, map violations, etc. I think where Target um, and other companies that are in this same space or same conversation are focusing on is we have to have these relationships because we want these brands to be in our brick and mortar stores and on our shelves, whether it's digital or um, in a store or a, a warehouse or whatever it might be. Um, meaning if I'm working with a brand like, for example, Coleman, um, I want to be able to sell their tents and sleeping bags and coolers and all those things on my shelf in a brick and mortar you know, store or on target.com as an example. And I really don't want to create a scenario where it makes it more difficult to do business with that brand itself. Um, so with Amazon, they don't necessarily operate in that you know scenario. And they're, they've been the gold standard for how many years, right? So they can do kind of what they want and it doesn't necessarily affect that business because they're not necessarily trying to forge a business relationship with a company like Coleman, as an example. Whereas if I'm Coleman, I might say, 
Well, in order for me to allow my products on your website and on your marketplace, we have to make sure that our houses are in order. And I think that that's the big thing from a, um, and I'm not necessarily speaking from an expertise standpoint on this. This is, again, just my own personal thoughts and opinions on this because I don't fully know. So I'll throw that disclaimer out there. But really, it is you know, thinking through like, okay, what other business relationships could there possibly come out of this? And what are we uh, willing to sacrifice as a marketplace and as a business in order to have this relationship together? Excellent. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, Richard, we talked a lot about, uh, you know, about this unauthorized seller problem, rogue sellers, map violations, like a bunch of that. So, maybe to, you know, end the conversation, why don't you tell people a little bit about Perspect, the software, you know, what, how does it work? You know, how can brands get access to it? You know, what's the, what, what can they do next, you know, as it relates to this, this software and also maybe compare it to maybe some other solutions out there, other options that brands might have. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that that's a natural place to go from here. Um, just initially, I can say that if you have more interest on Perispect, I recommend going to um, perispect.com or visiting the Caspian website. There's links in both that will get you to um, our team so that we can start engaging in a conversation with you and really helping you understand what does you know a, a, a software like Perispect lend to a individual brand, and we can start refining that conversation. You know what Perispect is really going to do is it's going to be a big difference maker when it comes to time, energy, and um, effort spent um, monitoring your listing. So I'll give a quick example. If I have 100 products that are potentially listed on Amazon, it would take an enormous amount of time every day and every week to go to each one of those listings, click into each listing, grab all of the information that I want to know, which would be who's selling my products, what price are they selling, are they upholding my brand standards um, from a visibility and a visual effort, um, and really just grabbing all of that data, collecting all that data, putting it into some sort of framework that you've built that works for your individual use, and then doing something with it, and then doing that all again tomorrow. Um, what Perspect is going to do is a lot of the heavy lifting from a organizational standpoint. What it's going to do is collect that data for you. It's going to organize it in such a way that it's really easy for you to find. And then it's going to allow you to really focus your energies on what do I do to fix the problem rather than spending time getting ready to fix the problem. Um, secondarily, what that's also going to do is it's going to allow you to connect to Caspian's um, database of seller information that we've been collecting since 2015. And really what that means is any seller that Perispect has monitored using the software, we're going to be able to share any information that we've manually collected on that particular seller. So as part of the service offering with the software is our team would be able to do some of that heavy lifting for you when it comes to who is this seller actually, you know, how do I get a hold of them or contact them? And is there any other clues or details that will allow me as the business to, to take XYZ seller on Amazon or other marketplace and match it up with something that's already in my CRM. So that way I can now have uh, appropriate conversations with that seller, whether it's a known customer of mine or somebody who is fitting into that unauthorized slash rogue category. Yeah, so you make a good point, which is, you know, Perspect is the software, but Caspian also offers managed services on top of that software to really give you the full experience end to end and really just manage your channel for you. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that I can throw in there, Kunal, is 
Um, because we we developed and operate this software um, here at Caspian, and it's part of our suite of services and, and offerings is we can be really flexible on how we use the tool to support your brand. Um, I'd like to say that the software is you know designed to do X, you know, Y and Z things. But really, if your brand comes in and says, I really need some help with this scenario, how can we help you uh, or how can you help us fix that or have more insights on it? We can really be flexible with how do we manage this software to fit your needs better? How do we provide a subscription that is really going to be unique to your scenario, whether it's your budget or your um, issues that you're facing that you're trying to solve or resolutions that you're looking for? If there's some way that we can offer our software um, and um, services to meet those, we're going to come up with a, a unique and creative solution that hopefully will you know, hit all the right boxes, which is usability, um, information and data, and of course that budget piece. Yeah, you make a good point. I mean, that's what, you know, we pride ourselves on as well, right? Like we're not just a partnership driven company that I talked about initially, but we're also very customizable, diversified, you know, strategy is a big part of, you know, how we work with brands. You know, we don't give brands just a off the shelf, you're, you know, take it or leave it. We're able to work yep. with brands, build a very custom, you know, solution for them based on their needs, their goals, pick from the different service offerings, pick from a right, the right price structure and really create an offering that really makes sense for them. That's exactly right. And that's one of the things that I'm super excited about. You know, your knowledge is certainly appreciated in this space. I know you work with our brands really well day in and day out, helping them manage their channel. So I highly recommend for any brands sellers listening to this to get in touch with Richard and his team and, you know, really help let us help you manage your channel or help us give you some advice on how you should be managing your channel. All right. So thank you again, Richard, for being on the show. I appreciate it. And we will see you again soon. Yeah, you're welcome, Kunal. Thanks for the opportunity. And I'm looking forward to talking with you all. Fantastic. Well, thank you again, everyone. And we will see you next time on another episode of Master the Marketplace. So till then, this is Kunal signing off. Take care. Bye-bye. Through conversations with experts in online retail, with years of marketing, compliance, and inventory management experience, we seek to empower our listeners to master the marketplace. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you next time on Master the Marketplace with Caspian.